0: And all of God's people said, amen. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 21 is going to be our opening reading. If you uh, look along in your Bibles with us, it says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hated me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner or phoner who is within your gates. For in six days the land... Uh, The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Over the next uh, five weeks, we are, believe it or not, going to Land the plane in Exodus. We're going to complete this book in the next five weeks. Now, if you've read through Exodus, you know we have a number of chapters remaining, so how are we going to accomplish this? We typically preach uh, verse by verse for the most part, chapter by chapter, and we will continue to do that loosely, but in our remaining time in this book, we're actually going to be looking at some key themes that emerge uh, within the book of Exodus, uh, the first theme of which is the law of God, which we're going to look at this morning. Next week, we will look at the tabernacle Uh, The following week, the priesthood, idolatry, and then lastly, the glory of God when God's glory fills uh, the tabernacle as Exodus comes to a close. So I hope that you will find, as we journey through these next five weeks, uh, this Old Testament book enriching to your life and also the connections that we're going to make as these uh, themes all point to a coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our main idea for this morning, our, our guiding idea is this. Saved by grace, set free for obedience, and then ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. Saved by grace, set free for obedience, and ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. Listen to the way uh, that chapter 20 opens. If you look to the screens or to your Bibles, it says this, and God spoke all these words saying, I want you to hear this, I am the Lord your God, and then listen to what God has done, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Israel is saved, right? And then, he's, and then God says this, you shall have no other gods before me. He sets forth the, the basis for the whole law, the whole of the Ten Commandments, is that you will not have anybody else before me. Your sole focus will be on the Lord. Again, notice the order. Israel was saved first by the grace of God. Okay, where do we get that from? We, we draw a little bit further on this truth. I don't have this on the screens, but uh, just listen along. Deuteronomy 7.7 7 actually captures this point well. Moses says this, it was not because you were more numerous, he's speaking to Israel, that you were saved, and uh, let's pause there. It's not because they were more numerous, saying because, it's not because they were great that God saved them. It says that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all people. In other words, you weren't that great in number. But because the Lord loves you, and then also because he's keeping his word, because he is keeping his oath to their forefathers. If you remember last week, we talked about the covenant that God made with Abraham. God is keeping his word to Abraham by saving Israelite out of Egypt. They're saved by grace, by the keeping of God's word, by his love set on them. Moreover, they were not saved to remain in the same condition, the same position, the same place, but to be set apart. That's what Israel's purpose was, to be a light to the nations, They were set free, we find here, for the way that they would shine that light was that they would be obedient to the law of God as conveyed here in the Ten Commandments. Later in biblical history, about 1,400 years later, Jesus will say this about the law in Matthew 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. A very important statement. Jesus never set aside the law. He came to fulfill the perfect law of God. Jesus then follows this by saying, Not one iota, or as the King James Version says, I love this, Not a jot or a tittle will pass away, will be left unfulfilled by Jesus. It will all be perfectly fulfilled. Some of you are saying, what's a jot or a tittle? Like, you know the, the I and you have the little dot on the top of the I and the T and the T's crossed? Okay, perfect. Perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. Through Jesus and his indwelling spirit, we are then set free for obedience to his commands. You see our condition is that at one time we were dead in transgressions and sin unable to combat sin unable to push back against it it was our state our fallen state defenseless god made us then alive in christ ephesians captures this truth in ephesians 2 there's a typo in your notes 2 8 to 10 is what it should say and it says this for for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing Paul says, it is, a, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Okay? I want to pause here. God accomplished this same thing for Israel in the Exodus, and he has also set us free from being slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to our flesh, slaves to an inability to live up to the standard of God's law. Going on, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. What we do, church, matters. Which would be, the good works would be obedience to what the scripture calls the law of love. Which God, we don't get any credit for this either, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul summarizes our main idea perfectly. Saved by grace, set free for obedience, and then we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we're going to break this sermon up into two parts. First, we're going to look at the law and the Hebrew, or the Jew that we're coming across here in Exodus. And then we're going to look at the law and the Christian. What does this mean to me as a follower of Jesus? So first we look at the law and the Hebrew. Exodus uh, 24, 3 to 4, the first part of verse 4, says this Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, hear here what they agreed to. All the words that the Lord has spoken, what? We will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. We call this in Scripture the Old Covenant. The old agreement, the old way of doing things. Taken as a whole, if we look at chapters 20 to 24, chapter 20 details the giving of the law. We see that summarized in the Ten Commandments. Outlines the Ten Commandments, which they, they do this. The Ten Commandments, if you'll notice, is split up into two parts. The first part affects our relationship with God, Okay, So we can say that that's, that's our vertical relationship, right? A vertical relationship with God. The second part of the commandments affect then our relationship with other people. Okay, Jesus would later say, say our neighbors, those around us. So we can call those our, our horizontal relationships. We look, look around the room. Okay, That's what part of the Ten Commandments applies to, is how you interact with each other and other people out in our community. So the first part affects our relationship with God. Second part, relationship with our neighbors or image bearers, those who bear the image of God, other people. And then out of 20, then 21 to 24, just to summarize it, is it's a practical then application of the Ten Commandments in the culture of Israel. Okay, the type of people that they were. They were an agrarian culture. Okay, they, were, they were farmers. They had animals that they tended to, that they cared for. And so it's a practical application of that law in that historical context. If you go through this week and read 21 to 24, you'll find uh, laws on animals goring human beings. Okay, has anybody had that issue? Probably not. Hopefully not. So you'll get guidance on dealing with animals who gore people. And then laws, there's the next section actually immediately goes on the laws that pertain to slaves. Not really applicable to us in this time, because we're not slave owners, thank God. Okay, And I don't want you to think of those commands, the application of those commands, as American slavery. It's not anything like the slavery that went on in America. American slavery was what we would call man-stealing, where people were taken against their will and then sold as property, which is a disgusting practice. But what was occurring in Israel was actually uh, people that were indebted to somebody, and then they would go and work for them to work off their debt. And the beautiful thing is in God's law, every so often, every few years, they were set free. Okay, A much different view than what we have in our history. In fact, the type of slavery that went on in America is actually rejected in this very passage. So in a nutshell, the Israelites have been set free to be ordered and centered on this as God is their center and king. God is their ruler. And then that then affects the way they interact with other humans this ordering of society which is focused on one God at the center, which would be drastically different than any other culture at the time. And their love and devotion to God then posit- pos- positively affects their human relationships. you see the connection? The way that they focus on God as center then affects their horizontal relationships. And this is the thing that sets israel apart from other nations this should also be the thing that sets apart christians from unbelievers is that we are focused on god as king and that should drastically affect the way that we love and interact with our neighbors or people around us not just fellow christians but those who are in unbelief as well god is at the center of glory and praise and adoration but here's the thing. The covenant that is imparted in, in chapter 24 is but a shadow of what is to come through what we've been calling a new and better covenant. In fact, we can picture this as, as a tapestry woven together, okay? A fabric sewn and woven together, and in the old covenant we have but a small picture of the beautiful thing that God is weaving together as redemptive history unfolds. But a shadow of the new and better covenant that is to come and take the place of the old covenant. It's a masterpiece that God has planned for the future in this context for such a time as when he will descend, God himself will come down to earth God will take on the form of a lowly servant. God will take on human flesh. And God himself will fulfill this very law, ushering in a new and better covenant for which the old covenant is just a shadow. And church, here's the thing now, as we transition to the law and the Christian, we are this new covenant people of God. That's why Jesus at the Last Supper said, this wine is the new covenant in my blood that I give to you. No longer as the Israelites are, are we confronted with the power of God outside up on a mountain or leading us in a cloud because the power of God has come this way. One, the power of God walked among us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And two, the power of God has been poured out into us through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And His Word teaches us this, that the Spirit has put the law within us. It is, he has written it on our hearts. As the New Covenant people... Of God. So then, how does the Christian relate then to the law? What, are the, what does the Ten Commandments mean to me? Here, the law and the Christian. The law and the Christian. We're going to look at three points under this heading. Number one: the law gives us a measuring stick. The Ten Commandments gives us a measuring stick. I want to back up just a second, because we have a tendency in our, our hearts, man, we just we want a checklist so bad. Give me a, I just want to check off the box so that I can move on. Okay, and so, and so we'll take the law and say, okay, I completed the checklist, now I'm good. And so I want to begin with this truth for you, Christian, We must clearly understand this, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. Amen? However, the law or Ten Commandments cannot be thrown aside as obsolete. because they provide a framework to measure, because we are saved by grace, the Ten Commandments now provide a framework for us to be measured against Christ. And that measure is important because as we we desire that God's word calls us to be sanctified, to grow in Christ's likeness The measure of that is, I can go to Exodus chapter 20 and say, how am I measuring up to these things? I can go to Matthew uh, five to, or chapter 5 to chapter 7 and look at the Sermon on the Mount and see what Jesus does then with this law. And I can say, how do I measure up to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5 through 7? How am I growing in holiness? How am I growing in Christ-likeness? Not so that we can give ourselves a pat on the back, but so that we can praise God all the more because he took a dead sinner and he rose them to new life. So let's look at a few of these commands. If you look to your notes or to the screens, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Then looking to the the horizontal commands, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, and then a list of on and on and on. So let's measure ourselves to these commands. I know I'm kind of sweating a little bit too. I'm with you guys. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, the question we ask, then have you ever made something in your life more important than God? I have. I've fallen short in that regard. Money? Your job? Your family? How about yourself? I mean, really that's the heart of sin is that we put ourselves in the place of God. We think we know. I know better than God. is the way I'm going to do it? I mean, that's the first sin. Did God really say, mm, fruit looks really good? How about honor your father and mother? Pretty good kid. Seems simple enough. Interesting thing is this command actually has a promise attached to it. I love the connection of honoring your father and mother, and it says the, the promise of your days going long in the land, Right? Because mama's going to lay down a whooping on you if you're not honoring her. Days are going to go a lot better. You're honoring mother and father. It's a command that has incredible practical value in family life. And it's, it's this. When we see that command, there's a connection there to authority. Are you... Willing to place yourself under the authorities that God has placed in your life. It's preparation for obedience to the authorities that God has placed over us. Have you perfectly obeyed the authorities in your life? Here's here's one. I know we can all say no to this one. You shall not murder. Surely we haven't broken this one. We need only look to the words of Jesus to gain further insight into this command where he gives us a better understanding. You see, we may not have physically murdered someone, but the question is this. Have you ever harbored so much bitterness toward someone else in your heart that you've wished bad things on them? Have you ever struggled with that before? You just harbor bitterness towards somebody. Somebody has hurt you so bad. Have you ever hated somebody? Jesus equates that to murder. We can go on and on. The law helps us in two practical ways. One, it gives us a measuring stick for growth in Christ-likeness. We're understanding that. We need only look to the way Jesus fulfilled the law. To understand his fulfillment of the law is far different from the application of the law by the self-righteous Pharisees. hey Jesus, if you want this week, I encourage you, read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus digs in deep to the heart of the matter. It's about your heart. We can have this outward facade that I've, I've got it dialed. I've got everything figured out. But what's the condition of your heart as you're doing these things? What is your heart saying? Because oftentimes all of us around here, we don't know. But you, through the Spirit within you, have to examine your heart and say, okay, do I measure up to the way Jesus unpacks this passage and gives us insight? Secondly, the law, and we've kind of, I think, scratched the surface on this a little bit. The law also does this for us as far as a measuring stick. It reveals that we are sinful. Okay, it reveals that we are sinful. Paul helps us understand this truth in Romans Romans 7, 7, he says this, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Did you hear that? I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Do you see the goodness of God in revealing sin to us? Because here... Our condition apart from Christ is that we are dead in transgressions and sin. We really don't have an awareness that we're fallen. I'm I'm good. That's why the world, when you share with them about Jesus, oftentimes will say, I'm a good person. But when they're measured against the law of God, the law reveals to us, and it's a beautiful picture of grace, that we need a Savior. That we need someone who has fulfilled the law in our place. And so the law is a measuring stick in our Christian life, evidencing growth in Christlikeness, and it is for the unbeliever a source of revealing that we are all sinners in need of grace. Moreover, number two, point number two, the law gives us a framework for the good life. The law gives us a framework for the good life. Exodus twenty twenty. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you. And hear this that you may not sin the good life. That you may not sin. Okay, i ask this question Has a sin you have committed caused you a grave consequence? Affected your life terribly? filled you with this regret and guilt have you done something that's filled you with regret and guilt you felt terrible over it made you sleepless stressed okay, I can recall a time I, I don't even know what I did I was about 16 or 17 years old I did something and I can remember driving I was driving back home and it was something that my mom was going to find out about and I needed to tell her before she found out about it you guys understand me And I can remember thinking in my head, like if I had just done what God told me to do, I wouldn't be in this situation. You guys been there before? If I would have just obeyed the Lord's way, I wouldn't have to be going and embarrassing myself before mama. Because there's nothing like mama disappointment, right? And I knew mom wasn't getting, she wasn't going to scream at me. I was too old to get a spanking because I was about a foot taller than she was at that time. But she was going to look at me with those eyes and say, I'm really disappointed in that. Ugh. That hurts. Have you ever committed a sin that has caused you that? Have you? Here's the other question. Have you been sinned against? You've experienced this towards you. Have you, been, have you been lied to? Have you been cheated on? Have you been hurt? Has someone hated you and wished bad things on you? see, the bottom line is, is when we look at the Ten Commandments, the law, they are incredibly practical to the ordering of our everyday life. If we examine ourselves up against these things, we're not saved through them, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But would our life not be so much better if we measured ourselves against this day in and day out? Living in light of God's law, both in external actions and internal conviction, gives us a framework for the good life. Let's just look at covet. Can you imagine if you didn't covet things? Man, I really wish I had that thing over there. And I kind of wish that they didn't have it and I have it. Because I deserve it, God. I deserve that thing more than that person. I mean, don't we do that with... The really wealthy people in our culture, I mean, we're facing that right now. I'm not going to get into any names, but turn on the news, and there's a certain person who everybody says, they they I'm not saying they're a moral person or an ethical person, but everybody has an opinion on what this person should do with their money. There's a lot of covetousness that goes on in our culture towards those who are incredibly wealthy. And again, not getting into the ethics behind all of that. But we all get sucked into that. Yeah, that guy should really do this with his money instead. That person should really not do this with his money. Can you imagine how much we could accomplish if we didn't spend time letting that stuff just burden our hearts and instead we were focused on the Lord and His work and loving other people? Moses infers that this the law leads to the good life later on in Deuteronomy 12, 28. He says this, be careful to obey all these words that I commanded you. And then he says this, that it may go well with you. Isn't that really clear? You command the law of God, it's going to go well with you. He says even further, and with your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of of the Lord your God. It's a picture of the good life. I think oftentimes we miss this point. The law helps us understand a better way of living because it gives us this. Okay, The law gives us this, an objective moral standard that doesn't arise from what I think is right or wrong. What do I mean by that? God says what is right or wrong, and that is the truth. And here's the reality. In our culture, individuals want to say, I know the truth, and my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. But that's just a lie. It's a lie to excuse sin. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the only source of truth is the one who is truth. It's God. The only person who can say this is right and this is wrong is God. We don't get to rewrite the law of God because we say, well, in our historical context, it really didn't mean that. God is God. His word says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I tell you what, if we don't have an objective moral standard that's not subjective to what we think is right or wrong, man, we're in trouble, and we're seeing that play out right now. The law provides us a moral standard. Practically, life will go better for us if we are measuring ourselves to the law of God and upholding the law in our everyday life. I believe it's why... The longest psalm in Scripture, Psalm 119, is all about what? The law of God. And praising God for what? His word and his law. Here's just one little piece of that, 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? He asked this question. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your, what, commandments, from your law, from your statutes, from your ways. Because it will keep my heart pure. Jesus, when challenged on what the greatest commandment is within the law, summarizes the whole law in two statements. He's he's posed this question, Teacher, which which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What an incredible teacher we have. Anybody have a hard time memorizing the Ten Commandments? Okay, Jesus says, know these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others as you love yourself. Ten Commandments summarized in two points. The law is captured this way. Love God with everything. Love others as you love yourself. Imagine if we did this. This is the framework for a good life. It's what we should, as followers of Jesus, be striving towards. I want to love God with everything that I am and I want to love others as much as I love myself because I love myself a lot. I want to love others just like this. Lastly, I got to hit on chapters 21 to 24 quickly because I I do a disservice to scripture if I don't hit on 21 to 24 because it is God's word. It's the application of the law in, in the original context Because people will fall short of the law, there was a system that God set forth in his law of penalties or restitutions, payments, and punishments to be enforced, okay? This is an important concept for us to tackle for just a few moments. So to be clear, when we measure ourselves to the law, we should, if you're honest with yourself, find our flaws, as they are numerous. Because the Word of God says, for for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know that this is a topic that we don't want to talk about in church for some reason anymore. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this is the thing. It leads us to good news. Because we couple this with the series of, of penalties and restitutions and punishments outlined in the next three chapters of this passage. And when we read through these penalties... And these payments and punishments, many of which are death, it should cause us to tremble a little bit, be a little bit nervous. Well, if, if we don't obey God's law, and, and I've got to pay something back, or I'm penalized, or I'm punishment up to and including death, how do I take care of that? How is that handled? It's our last point. Connecting this now to the gospel, the penalty and punishment have been paid in full the penalty and punishment have been paid in full looking at exodus 21 28 to 29 says this, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. So the ox has to pay with its life and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. And then hear this, but if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been worn, but has not been kept in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. Much of chapters 21 to 24 are the application, as we've said, of the Ten Commandments in everyday life. They show us two ways in which breaking the law is remedied. By a penalty or restitution, which is applied when the law, in a sense, if you read through 21 to 24, is in a way kind of passively broken, meaning without premeditation. And secondly, it is remedied with severe punishment when it is broken with forethought or intent. Notice that the man neglected to keep his animal locked up because he knew it was going to go out and gore people. Both ways of breaking God's law are wrong and must be accounted for. Our culture talks a lot about justice. This is what we call justice. Justice is upheld when restitution is paid Or a severe penalty is applied, which in this context was death. The penalty for breaking God's law willfully and neglectfully in many ways was that you would die for that. But here's the good news. Some of you are like, man, give me some good news. But for the new covenant Christian, the penalty and punishment have been paid in full. It's been paid in full. That is because we believe in Jesus, who has lived in perfect obedience to the law and the will of God. Again, he said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus has accomplished this, hasn't he, church? Jesus, in his fulfillment of the law, then is... The sufficient once and for all sacrifice for sin to cover the penalty and restitution and punishment that is due to us. He takes on the severe penalty. He takes on our sins because he is the once and for all sacrifice for sin and thus is able to bear the sins of humanity on the cross. Peter says it this way. The Apostle Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The tree is the cross. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might be transformed by his work. And then it says this, By his wounds you have been healed. The result of Jesus bearing our sin is that through faith, there is, echoing the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, there is no restitution that we must pay, no eternal penalty and punishment for sin because Jesus paid it all. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. So that if you're sitting here this morning and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You stand in the perfect righteousness of Jesus, which should lead us to incredible rest. We don't bear the weight of sin because our Savior bore it for us. Therefore, our submission to Jesus as Lord and Savior is that our lives are ordered under that which gives us the good life. Honors God and allows us to grow in Christ's likeness as summarized in, in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how